Hi, welcome to Dreams Recycled podcast and video series. And today I'm speaking to Steve Kane, who is a Boston-based author, entrepreneur, investor, and divorced dad of two boys, I found out today. And he's also the author of Effort, Get a Divorce, The Guide for Optimists. So welcome, Steve. How are you? Hi, Tiffany. It's great to be here. I'm great. <laughs> so... Um, obviously we work in the same industry and your book and your platform, get, um, get happy dot life, uh, caught my attention because you share a lot of the same philosophies as we share at dreams recycled that divorce is obviously not the end of everything or could be, but it's much more the beginning of everything. And so tell me, how did you get to like decide to write this book? Okay. Yeah. Um, I am relatively new to the to the world of um, relationship advice and and, and marriage and divorce, um, but um, I've spent most of my uh, career um, in digital media as an entrepreneur, as an investor. Um, but I went through a divorce myself about four or five years ago, um, and I really you know reflected quite a bit on what I went through. Um, my, my ex-wife and I were, you know, I have to say, um, for the record, you know, my marriage is going to be one of the highlights of my life. Um, and it was on balance an incredibly positive experience. She's quite a lovely human being. Um, and it ended poorly. And why did it end poorly? I think, uh, she and I made, a, uh, some mistakes. Um, probably the number one mistake we made is even though we both knew that the marriage was more or less done. Um, we were still amicable. Um, we were no longer madly in love. We weren't having like a passionate relationship. We weren't having a romantic relationship. Um, and we'd been together for a good number of years, over 20 years at that point. And yet we stayed together mm -hmm. and we felt like we had to stay together and we felt like it was the right thing for the children or for our image or for our sense of self-worth. Uh, and that was just a disastrous mistake. And we really had a couple of years of um, what I like to call like the pressure cooker, which finally blew off the lid. And then our divorce ended up being, you know, kind of very contentious um, and unsettling in a way that was just completely unnecessary. And then mm -hmm. I feel like we completely drew upon ourselves. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to report, you know, here we are X years later and, and, we've, and we're, we're amicable, we're good co-parents, we're good friends which just reinforces for me again, this idea that so much of what modern people put themselves through um, in, in concluding a marriage and moving on to the next chapter is just unnecessary. Um, well, so it's I, unnecessary. I said, uh, yeah, it absolutely is unnecessary. But I think we all, we all kind of fall into that. We are the sandwich generation, especially our generation. We've been brought up with parents who are either still together or view divorce as not necessarily a brilliant thing to do. And the whole kind of stay together for your children, which we, our generation is kind of stuck in the middle. And it's right. a shame because we, as you just said, you know, everybody knows divorce doesn't happen overnight. It's at least two years at the end of your marriage statistically where you know and your spouse knows that this is going to end in divorce or not well. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I completely agree with everything you just said. And I would add also, I think that we're the generation 
maybe hopefully the last generation mm-hmm. uh, that enters marriage in kind of a, um, a a pressure cooker way that's unnecessary. And so when we you know take this vow of till death do us part or whatever it is we say, mm-hmm. you know it, it adds this layer of pressure and this layer of obligation. I mean maybe that's too strong a word, but this this layer of expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is completely silly, frankly. It's just not borne out by the vast majority of people's experience. Um, and it's, it puts this, you know, self-imposed, you know, heaviness um, into thinking about the, or, the organic evolution of any relationship over, over time. Well, and, and any, any person over time, right? Any, thank you. Any yeah. person over time. Perfect. Right. We, just, we are constantly growing. We're evolving. We're becoming who we were supposed to be. And quite frankly, no one nowadays is the same person as the, they are at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. And Absolutely. so to find two people that can both grow and evolve and also stay together is very difficult. And extremely rare. And that's not a bad thing to say that it's rare and 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 congratulations and you know intense jealousy on my part for the couples that actually somehow find that or or i should say somehow make that because it's it's not a natural state of affairs it's something that two people have to put a huge amount of work and lifetime commitment into you know but by the flip side of the coin is because it's so rare and because it is so precious and special and unusual the rest of us should just you know not feel like we're bad people or that we're doing something bad or that we are violating some kind of societal requirement um, when we get to the end of you know our marriage and whether that ending is you know two years 20 years like there's no there's no judgment implied there should be no judgment felt um, as long as we all kind of acknowledge that there's a right way and a wrong way to do it and do our best to do it the right way and to be nice basically Right, right. To our partners. Well, and that benefits everyone. I mean, that's very similar to dreams recycle philosophy. It benefits everyone to be nice. It benefits you, even though you may be filled with anger and angst and drama filled. But it right, and, and most of us are for very good reasons. But yeah. that's that's a short term phenomenon, not a lifetime. Yeah, it benefits you, benefits your spouse, and most importantly, if you have children, benefits them. No child wants to go through trauma, see their parents distraught, unhappy, you know, fighting with each other, anger. Especially when, you know, most of our children, they're born out of love. It would be nice if we could divorce out of love also, which, well, yeah. you know, not often said. Yeah, and actually, um, you know, one of the things I, I you know, kind of, discovered during the course of my divorce and 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 was really pleasantly pleased to discover and and write quite a bit about it in the book and talk about it a lot with everybody i know who's interested in the subject is that the the thing you just described that like two parents who are breaking up you know a couple that has children two parents that are breaking up that do it in a nice way have almost nothing to fear about the long-term effects on the children that's just kind of a myth and that social scientists have now been studying the effects of divorce on families and children for decades and decades. It's 2019. Um, and the data is very, very, very clear that children of divorce have roughly the same lifetime experiences or outcomes um, as children of marriage. So roughly the same rates of 
going to therapy or not going to therapy, roughly the same rates of success or not success, roughly the same rates of having healthy, happy relationships in their own lives and not. The one exception is if the parents make either, you know, stumble into or make the, the, the terrible choice to go to war as part of a divorce and then act out the war in front of the children or worst of all, you know, make the children the rope in a tug of war. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, can have some pretty tragic long-term effects on any young person. Well, and also the studies are showing more and more. It's actually more detrimental to stay in a miserable, unhappy marriage and model that situation and that relationship dynamic to your children than peacefully divorcing and both find ha finding happiness again. I find that I'm so gratified. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that, that actually that social scientists are documenting that mm. because it so perfectly mixes with all, it passes the common sense test. Right? We all know that, right? Whether it's a marriage or any other relationship or a workplace, like people, you know, kind of are like sponges almost. And if there's negative energy in the group or in the place or in the home or in the family, like they just suck up that ne negative energy and themselves become, you know, kind of have a worse experience of life because of it and perhaps like a lingering long-term experience of life because of it. Well, absolutely. I've never, ever met a child from divorce or spoken to a child of divorce, even an adult who's been through divorce, who did not want both their parents to be happy. Right, right. right? right. I mean, that's a, that's a natural human reaction. We want our family members to be happy. Another, you know, another, you know, kind of small piece, but I try to, you know, remind people is it is 2019 or whatever. It's the modern world. Congratulations. We all live in the modern world. And if you take a minute and think about it, if your children are, have any kind of social group, if they're at school, for example, or if they go to church or synagogue, whatever, they have a, if they have a social circuit, if they have friends, they're surrounded by divorce and alternative families. They are not, they don't feel there's any stigma attached to a household with one parent or three parents or yeah. parents of the same gender or a conventional, you know, male and female pairing or divorce or remarriage. They think it's all normal. They're surrounded by it. Most of their friends have mm -hmm. some kind of home life that's not exactly the same as everybody else's. And so that's the good news. So, you know, if you are the couple that's ending your relationship or your marriage, you don't have to feel, you know, embarrassed or ashamed in front of your children. You don't have to project onto them that they should feel embarrassed or ashamed. If you treat it as a normal, healthy part of life that normal, healthy people live through, they'll just accept that because they see it every day already. Well, and having your children learn to be resilient is a really good thing in life. I mean, we're in kind of the stage of life where on average, people change jobs 11 times. People get remarried or have different relationships multiple times. I mean, the only consistency in life is change. Right. And, you know, having children be able to cope with that and function with that and know that, you know, okay, this isn't the greatest thing ever, but we're going to get through this and move on to better things and uh, kind of whatever it is in the future is a really positive thing in my opinion. I agree. And, uh, you know, something that I thought about a lot in my own case, and I try to talk to people about, you know, if we, if we believe the statistics and I do, you know, close enough to approximate the reality. And so roughly one in two marriages don't last forever. 
Well, if that's true, then our children have a one in two chance, 50-50 chance of their marriage not lasting forever. Yeah. Well, therefore, like, isn't it part of our job as a good parent to show them how it's done? To show them the amicable, loving, civilized way that people move on from a relationship. And isn't that an incredibly useful thing for them to learn and to, you know, to bring into their own life later on? Yeah, it is. It is absolutely. So um, one of the things that's really interesting about your story is you just admitted you had kind of a contentious divorce situation. And now you've gone on to co-parent and exist amicably, which congratulations, that is not easy. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us how you did that? Because I think a lot of people fall into that kind of dynamic. The one or the other one just hold on to so much anger yeah. that they can't, they can't co-parent, they can't be civil. So how, how did you get to that place? Um, well, I'll give you my version of the story. Of course, my, you know, my ex would be interesting to hear her version of the story and it probably maps mostly similar to, to what I'm about to say, but she's a, a unique and interesting person. She may have her own take on it, but okay, with that long caveat, leaving, I'm happy to tell you that um, in our case, um, we, we liked each other. I mean, you know, we were friends. Um, we were, you know, lovers. We were husband and wife. We were collaborators we were you know we did all sorts of things over the course of the 20 odd years that we were together um, but there was always a friendship at the middle of it and even at the end um, when kind of the, the the romantic or sexual or passionate part of the relationship had kind of run its course um, you know we weren't one of these couples who were so who were married but so estranged we couldn't go out to dinner together and we did and we would go to the movies and we would chit chat and you know and so Basically, I would say that both of us, once the storm blew over, um, were, had, 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 were, were, were very happy and even eager to put that back, to go back to being friends. I mean, we, we liked being friends. You know, we were, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I, I'm going to guess that the vast majority of people who get married love the person they get married to on the day they get married. Maybe there's a certain amount of infatuation. Maybe there's a certain amount of swooning passion and all those wonderful things. But I would hope that at the core, there's a certain type of like basic good chemistry and compatibility, especially in the modern world. You're, no, you're not getting married because your families have decreed that you shall get married, whether you like the other person or not. So hopefully you've opted in for all sorts of good reasons. And, and so hopefully everyone if they look inside their hearts and are willing to do it, in spite of all the kind of tough or grinding or antagonistic things that may happen in the course of the breakup, which we know, of course, does happen. But, you know, if you can, if you can kind of get into the time machine and go back and remember that you did like this person and, and, and kind of rekindle that like, you may not rekindle the love, you may have all sorts of hard feelings about the breakup, but if there are children involved, if there's no children involved, you know, sayonara, go on vacation, never come back, whatever. But if there are children involved, you have this obligation to interact with the other person. And, you know, my ex and I, I think very easily in our case, because we were good friends for so long, fell back into the pattern of being friends. And that's worked. That's all that we need to do. We're divorced now. She has her own life. She's an independent person she's got her own stuff going on so do i she doesn't need me to do anything other than be a good friend when she needs one and mm -hmm. to be 
super friendly collaborator in parenting and likewise. And for us, somehow we made it happen. By the way, not through some deliberate thing. We didn't sit down with a therapist. Mm-hmm. We didn't go out to have a long dinner to map it out. It had to wait until the storm blew over. But once the storm blew over, we fell very easily back into that good pattern. Yeah, because I, I wholeheartedly believe that most of the storm of divorce, obviously it's an emotional pain, but more than that, for a lot of people, the pain of divorce and the turmoil while you're in the divorce process is based on the fear of change and uncertainty. And so you're bombarded by, like I tell people, the worst thing you can do is talk to your friends about their divorce, <laughs> right? Because everyone has a horror story. Everyone has a, you know, whatever it is. And the court system, obviously, as you know, not the greatest in America, right. uh, family law. And I, I feel like a lot of divorcees, if they realize that the worst case scenario wasn't going to happen and that, you know, they're not going to end up with no custody of their children, they're not going to end up living in a box under I-4 here in Orlando, which right. is, you know, kind of people buy into that, then if they kind of use some common sense and realize that that's probably not going to happen, then the emotions and the turmoil of the, in the divorce process wouldn't be so extreme. And therefore, like you said, it would be, go easier back into being respectful, being civil, being friendly. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, my compliments to you and, and, you know, the people who do the work that you do, you know, I'll throw my book into there, you know, hopefully there are resources for people now who are in that, you know, at one point I used the phrase divorce curious, you know, still married, wondering if they should break up, wondering what breaking up is like, wondering about the legal or financial, you know, ramifications, all the other practical things. There are resources now mm-hmm. that people can go and play it out in their minds. Absolutely. So, so is that really what your book is directed at? So effort, get a divorce, the guide to optimists. Is, is that kind of the core message of your book? Yeah, I would say the short answer, yes. Um, <laughs> slightly longer answer, I would say there's kind of two messages. Um, one is, you know, congratulations, you, we, live in the modern world. And in the modern world, we're gonna to live to be 80 or 90 or 100 years old. And for almost all of that time, we're gonna be in good condition physically, emotionally, intellectually, sexually. And so if you're unhappy at 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, whatever, you're sentencing yourself to this incredibly long prison sentence of unhappiness. Don't do it. It's okay to move on. It's okay to want to move on. And if you do move on, you've got this very long horizon in front of you to have new chapters of your life. And you don't have to have, you know, the ball and chain dragging along with you all the time. So that's, that's kind of big message. Number one, I guess. Um, number two is that divorce does not have to be war. Right. Um, that there's all sorts of resources, um, whether they are financial resources or literary resources or just internal emotional resources to help any particular individual create, um, you know, kind of a breakup scenario process environment that's, if not warm and friendly, at least not cold and ugly. And that the, the benefits of that to you, to your children, to your, even to your ex, you know, who you may not care about in this one moment, but if you have children, you will care about later, again, as you have previously, 
you know, the benefits are huge and the downsides are huge to, to, to going to war. Um, you know, one interesting thing, you know, you mentioned the legal system a minute ago, you know, it, it, in, in my life, in my experience and in my, you know, in my book, you know, I have like total schizophrenia on the subject of the legal system and, and, and lawyers, particularly divorce lawyers. Um, I, on the one hand, I tell people, you know, divorce is a legal process. It is the undoing of a contract and the replacement of the old contract with a new contract that is a very important contract in most cases and will have very intense effects on your life going forward. So don't be foolish. Don't think you can be your own attorney in the most cases. You do need an attorney. Right, if you have assets, you have custody of children issues, you need, a, you need an attorney. You need an attorney. So that's you know kind of split brain part one. Split brain you know, part two is be careful because all litigators and in particular divorce attorneys have a basic built-in conflict of interest, which is that the messier the fight, the better they do financially, the more money they make. And so be careful and be a good manager of your lawyer because if you, if you stumble into a relationship with a lawyer who maybe even, you know, isn't necessarily like a bad person or trying to hurt you, they just have a very perverse incentive uh, to let your fight become worse and rather than taking the shortest path to making it better. And only you, me, you, Tiffany, us, the individuals can actually lay down the law and say, no, it's not going to be a horrible fight. I'm not going to engage in a horrible fight. And I'm not going to rise to the bait. Even if my ex decides that they are in, you know, in the mood for a horrible fight or want to be provocative or antagonistic, I'm not going to take the bait and I'm not going to have my divorce fall into that pattern. Right. And so that's kind of like the, you know, the two minds about, about lawyers, you need them, but be careful. No, and I think that's good advice. And I will say, obviously, not all lawyers are bad. There are actually some really good lawyers who have, you know, more kind of, uh, I don't know, more giving nature that maybe they've been through divorce or they know or whatever, and they actually are doing it to help people. So we won't lump them all together. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I agree with you. You have to be careful and you don't want to go down the war path. But unfortunately, as you probably understand, and I know from personal experience and from obviously our clients, in the courtroom, it takes two people to move through the court system appropriately. It only takes one to wreak total chaos. Right. <laughs> so for those people dealing with that, God bless you, because you need more support than anyone. And that's, you know, you don't really have a lot of control over that. That's there's a whole book that could be written on that one subject right there, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so let's talk about something that I love. If you, you probably don't know a lot about me, but if you'd listen to my other podcast, um, I've been on four, well, I went, I don't do it anymore. I went on 400 dates after my own divorce. Awesome. <laughs> wow. Know, wow. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. You know, why not? I absolutely. Why not? Yeah, Absolutely. I was married for 16 years. I was all, you know, my entire adult life, I was with someone. 
And so I didn't know. I didn't know who today. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know why I liked. I didn't know any of it. Right. So, you know, I kind of did a giant social experiment, <laughs> which, uh, which was actually interesting. But so what do you think about dating after divorce? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally dying to talk about this subject. But first I have to ask, over what time period did you do? Oh, I was uh, like two years, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that's, that's maybe a bit more. I think there's a whole book in that, you know, my, <laughs> um, so, you know, I, 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 I know a lot of people, uh, you know, kind of view the whole idea of like, oh my God, I'm not going to be married anymore. I have to date again. They view it with like trepidation, almost like dread or like mm -hmm. certainly anxiety, the anxiety I get, we're all anxious. Like we're just, if nothing else, we're just rusty. We haven't been in the, in the, in circulation for some period of time because we've been married. However, you know, for most people, you know, I think that they are, they are in for a very pleasant surprise on at least one level, which is that in the, in the ancient days, and, you know, maybe I'm a little ancient, but in the ancient days, you know, well, how would you go about even trying to meet new people? You'd, friends of friends, you'd kind of let people know. Your friends barbecue, church. <laughs> yeah. You know, or in, you know, some kind of like miserable evening sitting on a bar stool hoping for like the world's most statistically random event that somebody yeah. you really like is going to walk in and start talking to you or vice versa. Um, whereas today, you know, so, so I would say in the ancient days, we had a problem of undersupply. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the modern world. Now we have the problem of oversupply. Hence it's, 400 dates, right? Hence, I mean, it hence, is. Hence an ambitious woman who is willing to put in the effort can go on 400 dates. Right. Absolutely. Well, anyone can. This is what, you know, I mean, it, there well, is something. a certain amount of energy. I mean, I have to give you a lot of credit for, you know, at some point, like you're, you're obviously in, you know, good physical condition, you know, you're <laughs> kind of a marathon. Um, no, but absolutely. Like anybody can. There's, there's all these apps. There's all these websites. Mm -hmm. um, people are not shy about saying, hey, look at me. I'm here. I'd like to date I'm available mm -hmm. and so all of a sudden you know it's this issue like I said of oversupply um, and also it, it's a very interesting exercise in a world where there's a lot of um, supply we get a chance to be quite reflective especially when you've you know been married and divorced and you have all this life experience of thinking well what, what do I want mm -hmm. exactly if, if I, if I, God forbid, if I actually have the choice, like, what do I want? Do I know who I am? Do I know what I want? Um, will I be able to say yes if the right thing comes along or am I not ready to say yes? You know, and if I'm not ready to say yes, does that mean I have to be a recluse? No. If I'm not a recluse, does that mean I'm comfortable being in a casual dating situation or am I just emotionally unprepared for some kind of casual interaction with a new person? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, well, that's, that's a good thing. Me, yeah, no, it's a good thing. I think it's an amazing thing, right? Cause you can choose, you get to choose. And I tell people, you know, as long as you're honest about what you're doing, it's okay. Right. So I was very honest. I told everyone, I'm just, you know, I'm just divorced after 20 years or whatever. I've never been on a date. 
I don't want a relationship. I'm not looking for anything. I just want to go out and meet new people and figure out what I want to do. And there are so many people in that boat who are yeah. out there wanting to do that too. You don't yeah. have to feel bad about that. No. Uh, and no. In fact, if you're as, if you're as kind of transparent and honest as, as you just described, you'll be greeted with a lot of like kindness and affection from people who are in the same boat, basically. Yeah, because like you said, there's no reason to be a recluse. I think that's one of the most difficult parts about getting divorced is kind of that transition from being a we to an I, you know, and if you're sharing custody of your kids and now all of a sudden you have time that you never had before, right? <laughs> what are you doing with it? Right. And so, so I feel like dating is actually a good way to learn about yourself, to learn about other humans and to really kind of solidify, like you said, if you go into it knowing what you want, then you have a plethora of choice and you can make hopefully better choices and good choices and, you know, get into a relationship eventually when you're ready that really benefits you. And um, I know that second divorce, second and third divorce rates are higher, but I feel like people like you with your book, people like our company, other people in the divorce industry, we are helping people make better choices the second time around. Because to me, that's like the worst thing you can do is like get out of a relationship and get straight back into the relationship. It's the same relationship. Right. Do it again and then go, oh. And right. So, and so the especially, especially if you kind of stumble into the awareness that you're doing it for more or less the wrong reasons meaning i can't picture myself as being alone I, I like i have this void of you know of terror that that i i can't be alone so therefore i'd rather be in a bad relationship than no relationship and and no i, I mean i can't speak for every single human on the planet but i will say for the vast majority of us that's really a terrible decision and that people should give themselves time to see what stage of life they're in and what they really want and if part of that means being somewhat alone for some period of time okay well uh, yeah and also being single can actually be really really fun who knew but it can right there's nothing absolutely wrong single there's right. nothing wrong with having that autonomy to go today i'm doing this and i'm not telling anyone i'm not asking anyone i'm going wherever no amen to that you know I'm, it's on friday i completely i completely agree with that and i would also say that you know again you know without i'm not i'm, I'm I, I was never like a a i never liked to date just for dating's sake but i do like dating yeah i like meeting new people and i particularly like it in a world where like you know, had, 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 you know, had, had, had our paths crossed and I met a woman who's like, look, this is where I'm at. I'm, in, I'm interested in meeting new people. I may or may not be ready for a relationship, but I like going out and trying to, you know, I would have been so excited to meet somebody like you because like I was in that mode for a long time myself too. And it's fun. It's yeah. fun having that kind of ability to do that. Like I said, like in the ancient days, that was never on the table for, yeah, for no. No, you were, that's, this is why, you know, small towns, even today, everyone is married to everyone somebody knows, right? It's, yeah. it's location, locale, geolocation of right. partners, basically. It's interesting, too, because, you know, when I speak to, you know, kind of a younger generation, say 20-somethings or even, you know, young 30-somethings today about this subject, 
they kind of look at me like I'm out of my mind. They really don't know what I'm, I'm talking about because it has never occurred to them to layer the dating experience with the kind of expectation and pressure that, that, that you know, my generation mm -hmm. does. Like, is, it, is this leading to a relationship? Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And they don't really, they don't really even think about it until they're at least partway down the path. And they certainly don't think about marriage until they're nicely down the path, which I really admire um, yeah. about the way the younger generations think about marriage today. Yeah, because they have more independence, which is a good thing, right? That's a good yeah. thing for everyone. Because I think any marriage or any relationship has a much higher chance of working if both of you want each other, but you don't need each other. There, I, I, would, I would add one other thing, you know, to the whole, you know, topic of dating. You know, a minute ago, you advocated for total honesty. I completely agree with you with one tiny little, you know, caveat that, um, if I, I've spent my professional career in digital media and there's this notion of search engine optimization. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Search engine optimization means, well, when you type a search query into Google, say, like what comes up for listings and you can, you can try and have your website or your ad or whatever, like get better placement at Google if you organize it in a certain way. And that's called search engine optimization. I would tell people if they ask my bother to ask my advice about like online dating or apps or whatever, it's okay to fudge a little for search engine optimization. I'll give you an example. <laughs> so okay. When when most apps, when you're when you're one of the search parameters is age, okay, and and sometimes there's like a, a checkbox, like oh, I only want to see people who are you know under under you know 49 or younger or something like that well if you're 50 you're just not going to show up in that search and the person who's doing the search that may be completely random and arbitrary for them they'd be perfectly happy to date somebody if they're willing to date somebody who's 49 they're not going to care about 50 frankly they're probably not even going to care about 55 um and so i will go out on a limb and say it's okay to fudge your age a little bit for search engine optimization as long as you also couple that with just total transparency and disclosure when you actually meet somebody. Meaning, okay, yeah. you know, I said I'm 49, I'm really 54, you know, I show up, I have a lovely, you know, 90 minutes with this person, we have a drink, we, we giggle, we have stuff in common, we're probably going to want to see each other again. At that point, I feel like it's my obligation to say, hey, I, 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 I hope this doesn't, you know, kind of break the spell of, of, of enjoying my company, but for search engine optimization, I said I was 49 and I'm 54. And let the other person, you know, kind of respond to that. And if that makes them feel like they don't want to see you anymore, that's their choice. Mm -hmm. um, but they can't really fault you too much. All you've done is buy them a drink or waste 90 minutes of their time. Anyway, I just think the whole subject of how these dating apps organize us and yes. profile us is something that people, um, it's in their interest. It's in all of our interest to kind of be thoughtful about the way we present ourselves in the search side mm -hmm. of dating. Yeah, and I think ultimately... I mean, age is a number, etc. I think a bigger issue on all those dating apps are people who alter their photos or put up 10-year-old photos. I mean, because that's, that's something... That's that, weird. That's yeah, no, that, that, I completely agree. You can't. That falls into the deeply weird category. Yeah. Uh, one of the weirdest dates I ever had, I, you know, met somebody 
in person after chit-chatting with them and getting to know them a little bit online through an app, and they looked absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing like the pictures that were on the site. And it was kind of startling and odd and made the whole experience really awkward. I, I kind of felt like this person must be a psychopath because they must know yeah. when they walk into the room, they don't look anything like, and they just think, oh, the other person's not going to care. Well, and I think, I think it's silly because there is somebody for everyone. Like we said, I mean, there are 7 billion people on this planet, more than that. There is somebody for everyone. You don't have to lie about your looks or your weight or your age or your religion or whatever. I mean, there is somebody for everyone. And so I think that's a positive thing, right? Yeah. For hope. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so you, um, you don't just have a book. You also have a community called gethappy.life. Yes. And so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I'd love to. Um, you know, my, my hope, my vision, you know, uh, I'm a startup guy. I've started a number of companies. Um, and, 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 you know, so gethappy.life, you know, I kind of think of almost as like, um, almost like starting a record label. I'd like to start a, 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 a publishing house. All these old terms are kind of inadequate, but, some, but, but a place where um, new voices can be heard and can be um, sponsored, meaning, you know, in the way that like a record company in the old days would find a young act and invest some money and help that act kind of get, get, get their, their talent, you know, more visible and get out in the world and be seen and be known. I'd like to do that, you know, for young, young's the wrong word because I don't really care whether they're young or old you know, chronologically or biologically, but new voices, new teachers um, that, that have some wisdom to share with the world and don't know how to get started. And all positive and optimistic, clearly. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so okay. get happy dot life. That's, you know, hence the yeah. name. Yeah. It's like, yes. that, it, that it's, you know, it's, it's hopefully, you know, kind of finding new uh, voices of people who have interesting thoughts on how to enjoy life more, one way or another. Yeah, which we in America, we're actually really behind on this, right? If you look at Denmark, Sweden, most of the Scandinavian countries, even England, which is <laughs> whatever. I mean, they, there's whole philosophies on happiness and, you know, simple living and what makes you happy and what doesn't make you happy. And I think right. it's definitely a really important thing right. that we should be, you know, teaching our children and focusing on not, you know, how many cars you have and how big your house is if, if you're not happy in the process. And, and it's kind of odd and strange that it's come to that, that we have to teach people what makes them happy. But I think that it's a massive, uh, you know, massive area that's going to continue to grow. And I applaud you for starting that. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, no, it's very cool. So thank you. It's time to wrap up. But thank you so much for coming on my show. And where can people find you and find your book and find your website? Where can they get hold of you? Okay. First of all, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I love your work and uh, it's really a bit of an honor to be included. So thank you. Um, so if anybody's interested in, in what I'm doing or the book, um, go to the website, gethappy.life. One word, gethappy.life. And uh, hopefully everything you need to know is there. 
uh, the books for sale at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the usual places. Um, but if you start at gethappy.life, there's links to buy the book and all those other good things. Okay, awesome. And you can also find Steve at dreamsrecycle.com and his links are on there also. But look for the links under the video, under the iTunes and all the other podcasts, platforms and reach out to him. I'm sure he can be of much service to you all. So thank you, Steve. My pleasure. It's great to be here.